As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I went very high-pitched there uh, for today's Bundesliga preview episode. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me, it's been very too long since last he was on the show, so much so that I've forgotten how to speak properly. It's Manuel Vaith of Transfermarkt. Manuel, thank you for being here. Good to have you back, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, so how has the summer been? Uh, how was rooting for Germany? Were you rooting for Germany? Were you sad with the way things played out? Oh, that's a loaded question right at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, I was okay with it. I, I didn't have any expectations. And uh, I'm just glad it's over and we have yep. a proper head coach again. There we go. You've got a proper head coach. Uh, Hansi Flick is, is now in charge of the German national team. And we've had many other managerial changes. We're oh, going to talk about those and many other things as we preview the start of the Bundesliga season. Before we started recording, I asked Manuel which team he thought was most interesting, which was the one he had uh, the most interest in discussing, and it's going to be Leipzig. Manuel, why is it Leipzig? Well, because it's Jesse Marsh time. That's my man. That's what I wanted to hear you say. It is Jesse Marsh time. It's um, really excited to see what he's going to do with this team. I think it's going to be a return to of a more of a Red Bull brand kind of football. Hmm. You know, a lot of... Uh, vertical play uh, rather than horizontal play uh, a lot more high press a lot more attacking um, I think when you look at what they did in the market it's very interesting they brought in Andre Silva right and mm-hmm. um, I don't think anyone expected Andre Silva to stay in Germany we all had him to go to Spain or England and the fact that Leipzig actually got and got got to sign him is I think is very exciting um, they've done some really interesting 
things in defense as well. And Dominic Soboslai is going to be back. He's um, we're finally going to see him play for Leipzig. I think that's very exciting. And then um, Tyler Adams is going to maybe get a bigger role if mm-hmm. if um, Sabitzer is going to leave. Um, that's a possibility still. And then, of course, Caden Clark is going to arrive in January. So I think it's just all very exciting. And I'm really excited to... Um, also, I really like Jesse Marsh as a person. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. Um, it's just, you know, I really want him to succeed in this league because I think he can add something that um, we haven't previously seen. So uh, as you alluded to, there are six signings this summer, plus one on a free, a lot of new faces, plus Angelino on a permanent deal. How quickly do you think Marsh is able to get everybody on the same page? Is this a team that you expect to start the season strongly or will it be maybe after a month or so they kick into high gear? No, I think they're going to going to kick into high gear right away and then All right. it's really interesting too when you when you listen to some of the players that um have come out since Nagelsmann left i think that they they're very excited about maybe playing a style of football that's a bit more on brand for leipzig um you have to remember marsh is is red bulls through and through right he's literally literally like climbed the ladder all the way to the top and i think that they they a lot of the players that have played two years under Nagelsmann. Um, we're loaded with a lot of concepts and ideas and tactical innovations that not necessarily always fitted that squad, right? Um, was sometimes too static, too slow. And I think Jesse Marsh is is going to take a lot of the things that Nagelsmann brought in, but he's going to definitely, we're going to see a lot more Red Bull Salzburg than Julian Nagelsmann in this team. And I think a lot of the players in the team are going to welcome that. It sounds like Marcel Sabitzer might not welcome it because he might not be there. Is that Bayern Munich? Are they already calling? Will they be calling soon or where else might he end up? I mean, no deal is done until it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, always, like, as I say on Twitter, it's uh, the done deal text for Transfermarkt. When you see that, then uh, it's all been signed and done and dusted. Um, I think that Sabitzer is at a stage in his career where he wants to experience something different um, he's not going to to sign a new contract he's been in the he's been with the, the club or with, with red bull for a long time right they they signed him originally in 2014 from rapid vienna and then um it was a bit of a controversial transfer at the time because when red bull signed him uh rapid actually had a clause in his cl- in his contract that he was not allowed to go to another team in austria so what they did back then is that Leipzig signed him and then loaned him to Salzburg for the first year. And that caused a lot of controversy and he almost didn't actually go to Salzburg. He almost refused and it was all sorts of stuff. And then um, I think it was a marriage of necessity ever since. And I think he just wants to maybe move on and experience something else. And whether that's going to be this year or next year, I think that's really what it comes down to. And I think the difficulty with his transfer is that Bayern Munich have to sell someone first. They, you know, Tuliso comes to mind and they, they're probably going to try to find some, someone to take his contract. And I personally think that's quite difficult. But then a friend of mine reminded me the other day, as long as there's clubs like Arsenal, there's always a market for Tuliso. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, once they get him off the book, then they, they can do this. But, um, I think that Bayern will try, but they will have to, to make that money available first. And I think Leipzig are sort of okay with it too, because they are very much anticipating that um, 
both Tyler Adams and, um, you know, Dominic Soboslai are going to fill the void and maybe another kid from, from Salzburg coming over, uh, who may or may not American. And then, of course, uh, Caden Clark is going to be there soon as well. So there's a lot of players in that position that can fill that role. So I, I think they're sort of okay with it. And last season, Leipzig finished second in the Bundesliga table. Uh, they had 60 goals for, 32 against. If you had to guess, based on the signings and some of the departures, they lose their starting center back pair- pairing, but then they bring in a lot of young center backs. We'll see how they do. Which of those numbers do you think will increase more dramatically? The goals for or the goals against? Well, I did the, when I remember when the Andre Silva deal was announced, I did an article on it and I said, that was the player that they missed last year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? 28 goals. You add 28 goals to the side. And that's, that's the point gap between Bayern. I mean, 63 goals is not a lot for a title contender. Let's be honest here, but you add 28 goals. You're in the, you're in the high eighties. And, um, that's a very different proposition, isn't it? And, yes. uh, I think that a lot of, a lot of us made about losing Konate. Um, he only managed to play about 20% of the games at Leipzig since he joined. A lot of injuries. So we didn't really see very much of him. And I think for them to get uh, the 40 million euros that they got from Liverpool is actually quite a good deal. Upamecano is another one. Um, very good centre-back, but by no means a finished product either. And centre-backs are a difficult one on the market in general, because there isn't many around. So the prices are very much inflated at the moment. And I think that they actually, I think they did all right um, in that department as well, getting the money that they got. And I'm a huge fan of the players that they brought in, Mohamed Sima Khan, although he's recovering from an ACL. So it'd be interesting to see how he, how he's going to deal with that. But Josko Guardiola is a beast, um, an absolute beast. And I think that Leipzig have done very well you know, anticipating that they're going to lose those two players, bringing him in. And they're still in the market. Um, you know, the, the rumors about Maxime Lacroix from Wolfsburg are not going away. And if they were a- able to sign him, um, those who followed the Bundesliga last year know that Lacroix is one of the mm-hmm. best centre-backs in the league. And, you know, I think they're not going to miss a beat. I, I do think that goals against are going to increase, though, because um, Marsh's football is very different than what Nagelsmann does. So what do you think is considered a success for Jesse Marsh this season, either for you or for the club? The club probably more important since you can't fire him, but they can. What do you think will be deemed a successful first season? They're saying that they want to finish top four. And I get that, you know, top four. In the end of the day, if you finish first or fourth, it doesn't really matter anymore, right? Because Champions League is Champions League. And this is really all the big clubs are caring about now. I do think that... Leipzig at are at a point now where they are sick and tired of finishing second, whether it's in the Pokal, whether it's in the league. You know, they don't, they're at the stage now where they feel they have to make the next step. And I think they showed that and, and this transfer market. I mean, they spent over a hundred million euros on new players, right? And they say, yes, Leipzig fans will say, well, we also earned a lot. Sure. Yes, you did. That's fine. But you also, didn't just take that money and sat on it like a lot of other teams did in this market. You actually reinvested it and some, right? Which is, I think, a big, big deal. And uh, I know that people um, Fuchel am Fuchel where the Red Bull headquarters are, are getting to a point now where we're like, look, we, we put the club there to win titles. This is not 
a Salzburg scenario where we are going to be happy to dominate Austria's league and um, produce players and develop them. This is a scenario where we eventually want to win big titles, including the Champions League. And I think for Marsh, the for Marsh, his objective is to take the club closer to that and um, to challenge Bayern and push them all the way. And maybe if Bayern have issues and problems, that they are the one team that can benefit from it. Um, I mean, we're probably going to talk about the other team that's going to probably hope yeah. for the same thing in Borussia Dortmund. But I think that's very much the objective, to be there should Bayern not be there. We are going to talk about Dortmund. First, since you mentioned them earlier, let's talk about Wolfsburg for a moment, a club that you and I historically tend to forget to talk about or only talk about briefly. Mm -hmm. We're not going to talk about them a ton, but they did finish fourth last season. They have thus far managed to hold on to pretty much everyone. They brought in defensive cover. They made Max Philippe's loan permanent. Do you think they will have enough to stay competitive on the multiple fronts they will be in this season, or will they need to reinforce before the window closes? I think, first of all, they need to learn how to count. What do you mean? <laughs> well, making a six substitution in a DFB Pokal. Oh, right. I forgot about that. So, can you tell, can you uh, inform people? I've totally forgot about that. So, yeah, they made uh, a six substitution uh, in the DFB Pokal in their 3 1 victory over Poison Munster, uh, an overtime victory against the third division side. And, um, that is sorry. They actually poison Munster a fourth division side before anyone yells at me. They play in the Regionalliga West. We all we were all thinking side. it. I'm glad that you corrected yourself because everybody knew. Division side, yes, and they were actually held by this fourth division side for the full mm -hmm. 90 minutes at one one, and then they made their five substitutions during the game. And then we all know this probably from the Euros. I believe in the Euros you were allowed a sixth substitution in, mm -hmm. in overtime, right? And then in some competitions you're allowed to bring on a goalkeeper and then there's a concussion injury as well, I think. Mm -hmm. So Wolfsburg, or rather Mark van Bommel, the new head coach, uh, apparently did not know this. Um, they claim that they have asked the referee team several times whether they're allowed to make another substitution or not. Unfortunately for them, the rules are, however, and they sent a guidebook by the DFB ahead of the Pokal, that outlines that they are in charge of the substitutions. All the referees do is to, because they have a lot of work already, to note them down, right? So they brought on a sixth player in overtime. And um, unfortunately for them, the rules are, and we've seen this, we've seen this last year with uh, Roma, right? In the, in the Coppa Italia, they made a, they made a similar mistake, Paolo Fonseca. And uh, it looks like they're going to be out of the cup. So, that's already a poor start. And yeah. um, Jörg Schmatke, um, the, the director of sport at Wolfsburg, <laughs> he said, like, maybe we should send our entire staff uh, to reading lessons first um, <laughs> because they, they need to read the, the, the books about like the, the rules of the competition. So, yeah, um, unfortunate start for them. I, I, you're quite right. They kept all their players together. I hope that in future they can count also when they bring them on and off. Um, I still feel like the officials, I take your point. They've got a lot going on. It does seem like they could keep track and just count and say, nope, that's one too many. You can't do that. That feels yeah. like they were tricked into it by those dastardly I, officials. I, I'm super curious to see, because this is going to the DFB court, mm -hmm. right? And I'm super curious to see how this is going to work out. Like, by no means is them going out of the cup set in stone at the moment. I mean, this could play out in very many different ways. But 
I, I just ask people who know and they explain to me it is actually up to the, the coaching staff to make to mm. count the right amount of substitutions. Weird. So that's something Weird. new I learned. Um you know, in the end of the day, and I think that also kind of makes sense, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one to see how that plays out. And then how do you feel about Wolfsburg's chances aside from <laughs> from the DFB Pokal uh, and their inability to count? Do you think they'll be able to stay competitive or do you think this will be maybe a little bit too much for them this season? I'm super curious how Mark von Bommel is, is going to do in this league. I, I think his track record with other clubs isn't the best. Um, he, he's of course a, speaks German. He has a history in the Bundesliga, playing many years for Bayern Munich. But I'm really curious to see how his philosophy of playing the game um, is going to work with what Glasner has left him. You know, and I think on paper that's a very strong side. It's a it's it's a very good team, as you said. I mean, especially if they can keep Lyle Croix, um, mm-hmm. then it's essentially they were able to build on what they had last year, right? I think bringing in uh, Lucas Nemka is is a fantastic piece of business. Um, he he was probably the best center forward at the at the European U twenty one tournament that Germany won, right? And um, there's a lot of attention paid to him because center forwards is a position where we don't have many players in Germany. And I'm really really looking forward to seeing what he can do in the Bundesliga. Um, yeah, it's an it's a really interesting one. I I just I'm. I think the big, the joker here is Mark von Bommel and uh, whether he can actually, can actually provide, um, can actually build on what, what's been previously done at the club. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we have managerial questions around Wolfsburg in terms of his experience and his like adaptability. I think less concerns, but still some concerns for Dortmund. The other team you mentioned is challenging Bayern Munich for the title. Marco Rosa is in charge. Former interim manager uh, Aiden Terzic is still around. Mm-hmm. How did Dortmund manage to keep their once and f- potential future manager around while also getting their current manager in place? And he's sort of the the current manager's boss. Odd. Odd one. <laughs> Very um, odd. Uh, it's like... <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll give you a promotion and you, you're also going to be one of the guys that could potentially fire the guy who's currently taking the role that you eventually will have. Yep. Um, doesn't look great on paper. I'll give you that. It's, um, this, you know, now that the Bundesliga is gearing up again, I'm, I'm kind of like starting to pay attention a bit more again to all this craziness that we had with coaching changes. And I think mm-hmm. that was around the last time we spoke, right? It was when all of yep. this went down. And in quick succession, and um, the fact that like all the the 
top six teams have all yeah. changed their head coach. It's, I think it's seven of the top eight is what I read, all yeah, head coaching it's, changes. It's quite remarkable. And um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And it's not that they, some of the coaches went to the other teams in the, in the same category. So mm-hmm. it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I like Marco Rose. Um, I think he, he's a great coach. I think he is, is a very good personality. Um, I think I, re- I really like what, what Dortmund have done in the window as well. Um, I watched the game against Wien, Wiesbaden in the, the first round of the Pokal and I thought they were very convincing. And you know, on that first round for Bundesliga teams is always difficult because the lower divisions start almost a month earlier than the Bundesliga, right? So these teams have already been full on in competitive mode for, for many weeks. And um, for the Bundesliga teams, they, that's their first outing. And that can always be very tricky for them. And I think they were very convincing against BNB Spaden uh, in the first round, you know, and really took it to them. That's the 3-0. It could have been a lot higher. And I think for them, the best news is too that um, the Erling Haaland rumors are, can be put to bed completely now, right? The, the fact that, um, Chelsea asked and were quickly told no, I think that's, uh, and then didn't come back for it either, right? Um, this, I mean, as we speak, Romelu Lukaku is on an airfield somewhere in London, hmm. ready to, to sign his Chelsea contract. So, um, I think that's very good news. And I, I really like Dolan Marlin too. Um, he he's not a Jaden Sancho replacement by any means, but he is a player that will make them less um, makes them harder to calculate what Dortmund do in the field, but it also makes them less reliant on Haaland as well. Why do you say uh, he's not a replacement for Jaden Sancho? He's a very different player. He's more of a center forward, isn't he? I mean, he's not like Erling Haaland. He's 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 not quite as physically imposing. He's not. Um, you know, as straightforward. I mean, he does hang off the wing a little bit, but he's definitely not a Jaden Sancho either. And I think uh, there's a Jaden Sancho replacement is coming next year when when Haaland leaves, um, wherever that's going to be. I, I have my suspicions, but you know, um, that's a different question altogether. But I think when Haaland leaves, then Daniel Mar- Marlon will replace Haaland. And then I, from what I'm hearing, they're going to go heavily after Noni Matueke from PSV and sign him then. Um, sort of the, the complete the set, right, of the two players that they need for that position. Um, but yeah, I think also that Rose just plays a little bit different football too. We've seen it at Gladbach where sometimes he played with two, sometimes even with three center forwards, right? So I, I think that typical wing play that Sancho provided, they might just also move a little bit away from it. So what do you think their style will be then? How strong do they look and where do you think Gio Reyna will end up playing? I'm assuming more central than we're used to based on what I've seen and what I've read. Yeah, he played in right midfield uh-huh. against VNV Spaden, right? That's um, a deeper role, more of a number eight position. Yeah. And that also gives you, you know, there was a lot of talk last week that um, he, he took number seven from Jaden Sancho and, um, or should we call him Jason Sancho? Are we over that yet? <laughs> whatever you want to go with, my right. friend, whatever you um, prefer. It's... It, I mean, he took that number seven and again, he's not going to be a one-on-one replacement for, for Sancho either. I think Dortmund have very much realized that you cannot replace a player by basically trying to get the same player in again. It's, it's not going to work that way. Um, but you can replace his productivity, right? And I think that's where the expectations are with, 
um, Gio Reyna that his productivity has to step up and it has to step up on a more prolonged period because we saw at times last year where he had uh, fits and spurts of where he produced a lot and then it kind of fell off a little bit. And I think what they want from him is just more consistency to do it every every week. And uh, I think this is really where we're going to see the next level. I, I am curious to see that he is playing in that position because I think a lot of people have projected him almost as a number 10 eventually, right? But I guess with Marco Royce playing that position, that's that's taken. But yeah, I, I, I think they, the Dortmund style is going to change um, in a lot of ways and it's going to probably make them better. So if it's Royce is the number 10... If it's Holland and Malin, is it fair to say then that it looks more like a four-four-two diamond of sorts with like the wide attacks coming basically just from the fullbacks? Yeah, it kind of looks like that, doesn't it? Or maybe a four-three-three with uh, a false number nine almost with mm-hmm. Royce playing that role. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yuzufu Mokuku, we have to remember him too, is is also going to play a bigger role this year. Right, and then there's uh, Tigges that um, has made a huge step in his development too. A little bit of a late bloomer, but very tall and imposing center forward. And we're going to see a ton of him um, as well. And then we have Ansgar Knauf too, uh, who can more of a natural winger. I think the the club has high expectations um, in his development too. And then Torgen Hazard, of course, who is probably now the better of the two Hazard brothers. Mm. I think we can we can safely wow. say that. That's um, surprising, but I don't disagree. That's just a weird <laughs> thing to say and agree with at the same time. Yeah. It's probably more due to Eden's development rather than Torgan's, but um, yeah. it's it's kind of true, isn't it? So um, it's funny how that is sometimes. I think he just developed late, better in his later life, whereas Eden completely dropped off. But yeah, it's um, I think it's 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 more of um, a form three one two or four two two two. Um, um, or even just a natural 4 3 3. And all those formations are definitely Red Bull style, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, high intensity, high press, um, a, lo- a lot of overlapping wing play. And um, interestingly enough, in this case, with one, two, or even three number nines. Wow. That's a lot of number nines. On the other side of the field, they brought in uh, Gregor Kobel from Stuttgart. I'm assuming to be their starting goalkeeper. Will he be the starter from day one? And is he a pretty big upgrade on Berkey and Hits? Um, he better be for that price. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> 16 million is a lot for a goalkeeper mm. in this market. Uh, you know, Gregor Kobel is, he's going to be in a different role this year. And he faced a lot more shots last year for Stuttgart. A very good Stuttgart side, right? Um, I, 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 I'm still a little bit on the fence when it comes to Gregor Kobel. He's another one of those Swiss goalkeepers. There seem to be a ton of them, and I'm not, sh- not sure. Yet. I think he's an upgrade to Berkey. Mm-hmm. Probably also an upgrade to Hits. But um, I had an interesting conversation a while ago with the guys that run Goal Impact, and what they've told me, and I thought this was really fascinating, is that the goalkeeper position is the one that you can invest the least amount of money in while also getting the biggest impact on the field because of the way, because goalkeepers are generally much cheaper than strikers, for example, right? But a goalkeeper where a striker can add maybe 10 goals uh, a season for a hefty sum, let's say, let's take Daniel Marlin, for example, 30 million euros. 
a goalkeeper could also save you 10 goals, but will probably half the price, if not even less. So you want to get that right. Um, and actually, to even further add to this, I was in a conversation with an, with an agent today who was looking at a goalkeeper and he said the same thing to me. It's like, that's now the most important position on the field. Everything comes from the goalkeeper first because it is so impactful, but um, the market doesn't quite realize it yet. So I, I think they have to have gotten that right. And whether they did, I think let's, let's wait and see how Kobo does. So we've got many other teams in the Bundesliga to discuss, but with the three that we have mentioned, Leipzig, Wolfsburg, and Dortmund, a, a common theme there would be the presence of Americans. Each one has at least one prominent American. Uh, some will have more in the near future. Of those three, Leipzig with Tyler Adams, Wolfsburg with John Brooks, or Dortmund with Gio Reyna, which, which one do you think will have the most prominent impact from an American? Which one will rely on their American the most? Oh, um... You have to remember Leipzig will have have three, right? Um, will they? Caden Clark, well, Tyler Caden Adams, Clark, Tyler and, then Jesse Adams Marsh. and the head coach. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that Tyler Adams is probably going to play the biggest role. But I think they, they, not, they didn't sign Caden Clark to sit on the bench mm. all the time. You know, Because if they had done that, they would just send him to Salzburg. Not that there is officially a, co a connection between those clubs that doesn't exist, but you know what I mean, right? Um, so I think that for Gio Reyna, he has to have an impactful year. Whereas for Leipzig, I think Tyler Adams will have an impactful year. Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah. So you're saying Tyler Adams will, Gio Reyna needs to. Has to, yeah. Okay. He All has right. to absolutely make the next step this year. Um, 100% to, to, because like he's loaded in talent and he has to make the next step. He has to become a regular contributor. He has to fight for his position because there's lots of other young players that are coming through the system. And, um, I think that if he doesn't, then Dortmund are just going to look elsewhere, elsewhere. And that, that's, that's going to be one for him. And I think they also, you know, giving him that number seven, I think the Dortmund pretty much sent him that message too. It's like, this is your year. You're ready. Um, please show it to us. Is there anything off the top of your head you think he he definitively needs to improve? Or are there any areas you think he is already functioning at the level he needs to be to be a key member of that Dortmund squad? It's the general productivity for me to be impactful at every game and be ready from, from the very start and to not drift off and disappear for, for games at times. Right. Um, you know, he's mm -hmm. God, he's only 18, but you know, he's he still only 18. Yeah. Um, I just looked oh, it up my myself and I, <laughs> I realized I was probably way too harsh on him. But, oh, I uh, thought he was like 20 by now. Wow. Yeah, he is still only 18. It's been around for a long time, but you know, nowadays oh, that is, goodness. that is when we expect the next big step. Isn't I it? suppose. Right. And, um, I think that's just, that's just it for him to, to hit that, um, to hit that productivity in every game, to be a consistent scorer, whether it's assists or goals, to, to get those numbers that Jaden Sancho had over the, the, the time that he was in Dortmund, you know, double digits and goals and assists. I think that's what I would like to see from him. I would like to see him not be the youngest member of the team, and he's not, because instead it's Mukoko, who I forgot was also a tiny baby at the age of 16 years old. A youngest lot of teenagers. Bundesliga player in history, Yusufu Mukoko. Yusufu Mukoko is such a big talent 
that the league changed the rules for him. Uh, how's that? Um, technically, players were not allowed to play until they, uh, I think it was 16. Um, no, yeah, it was, it was, uh, 17 or 18. It was some rule that they changed, um, that he could actually feature already as a 16 year old in the league. Yeah. They All actually, right. they actually changed the rules, um, so that y- Yusufu Mukuku could play at a younger age than he did. So it feels like we're sort of setting the stage for all these young, exciting players and these teams that have made smart moves and could be competitive. And then inevitably Bayern Munich will just steamroll everyone. No German club has ever won 10 consecutive titles. Manuel, do you think Bayern will be the first this season? No club, if any top five league has ever won 10 consecutive Mm -hmm. titles, Um, which is unfortunate because I think Bayern wants to have that. Um, it's it would be foolish of me to bet against them, but I do also think that there is an opportunity there for other teams um, that can be exploited because they're not currently in a position where you know they have to they have to be careful about signing a guy like Sabitzer for 18 million euros right now because of the financial situation, the COVID impact, right? And um, that also means that they're thin on right back, they're thin on left back. They are seriously considering starting a guy um, <laughs> named Josef Stanisic from, from the youth team because they cannot trust, they're not sure whether Omar Richards is ready to replace Alfonso Davies to start the season, Right. Um, they did lose. I mean, there they were serious considerations about bringing in back Frank Ribéry um, as a backup winger, you know, because the the market is so difficult wow. at the moment, and there is there is serious problems internally because they signed Leroy Sané to a massive deal, and the players all talk, and so they all know they did lose David Alaba, and David Alaba is a player that can play left back, center back, midfield, you know, that can fulfill so many different roles for them and was such an important player for them inside the, inside the dressing room. And um, losing him is is a big deal. I don't think we, we quite realize how big of a deal that is. And, you know, there's all these rumors about Leon Goretzka. Um, there were tons of rumors about Joshua Kimmich. I think we can put that to bed now. I, from from what I'm hearing is he's going to sign a new contract soon. So that's that's going to put an end to that. But yeah, there is, it's, it's an interesting one. Like, is this, it, this is, this is a time where they, they appear a little bit weaker. And, um, I think Julian Nagelsmann is going to take some time as well to, to get the side adjusted to this, to his style of playing. Um, which is, they play a different type of football, right? And I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes down. I do think there's still the team to beat. But um, speaking of goal impact numbers, I think the percentage of them actually winning the league going into the season is somewhere in the region of 50%. Um, to put that in perspective, two years ago, it was in the high 90s, right? Hmm. It's significantly dropped. So there is a chance. Um, if someone like Dortmund or Leipzig, or Leipzig put together a very consistent campaign, they can push them all the way and they can win the title. That's really, I think, where it comes down to this year is... Dortmund and Leipzig cannot afford to slip up because if they slip up, 
it, it will go, come back to the narrative that we had over the last two years. It's like, yes, Bayern are the strongest team. Yes, they did win the title. But if they had actually been properly challenged, maybe they hadn't won it, right? So I think the other teams really need to step it up and really put the pressure on them. And it can't be just from one team. I think if it comes from two teams, I think it'd be exciting. And I mean, in the end of the day, mm-hmm. if Bayern win it, get their record, oh, well, and they have 10 <laughs> titles, that's a huge achievement. But maybe wait till the last day of the season. Give us something to be excited about. I think that would yeah, be, be nice. Fine. That'd be fine. We'll take it to the last day. Hopefully yeah. it gets a little competitive. Uh, with the present situation of Bayern Munich, like I want to ask this as openly as possible because I don't want to presume anything or be ignorant. But like, is the situation that they're in with the sort of financial restrictions, they have to be careful with their expenses, is that solely a product of COVID and the way Bayern Munich operate? Or is it the fault of any one particular person who's maybe been overseeing things or in charge of things? Like, basically, would you point to a few individual mistakes as to why they are where they are? Or is it more so just a result of the current global landscape? Oh, Bayern are the, financially, Bayern are the best run team in the world. Um, I cannot think of a club that for 20 years in a row has run a profit at that stage, I mean, when you look at Barcelona or Real Madrid, the the chaos that they're in, um, Barcelona not having the money to sign the best player in the world um, to a contract extension after paying him what in the region of five hundred million euros, half a billion euros, ah, that's that's remarkable. That would never happen at Bayern, never, ever, ever. Um, their financial constraints are due to them realizing that the financial constraints are necessary to get through this period. Mm. I do think that there is rumblings in the leadership. I do think that um, there have been some finger pointings towards the sporting director, Hassan Salihamidzic, and the decision-making yeah. that's been made about signing players. But that's not of financial concerns. Financial concerns when it comes to finances in this club, um, they're second to none. They, they, they are actually, when it comes to just cash, you, know, you, take, you take everything else out, they are the richest club in the world. They have the biggest cash reserves of any football club in the world, but they have to generate that money, you know, and they're very conservative about um, spending that money because they have to earn it themselves. There is no sugar daddy that will come in and give them half a billion. There is no Spanish state that will bail them out. There is no oligarch from Russia that will give them money, right? There is no Qatari or Abu Dhabi state that will just hand them money either. They have to earn every penny the hard way. And I think people keep forgetting that when they say like, oh, yeah, this league is just dominated by Bayern. It's like all, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. how did they do it? And it's like, well, they just make a lot of very good decisions. And I think they're also very good at identifying when things go wrong, right? So um, it was a very good article by Rafa Honigstein um, that I fully agree with and fully covers what I hear as well is that, you cannot afford two bad transfer windows at Bayern Munich if you're a sporting director yeah. because the club, it's the club's money. It's the, you know, and if you, if you get it wrong twice, even if those signings were cheap, the, 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 the idea literally is if you make five bad cheap signings, that's just as bad as one big one. And, uh, I think people are looking at Hassan Salihamidzic and say like, yeah, like, the, the, the big signing, Lucas Hernandez, didn't quite work out. Leroy Sané, that didn't quite work out either. Um, you know, some of the smaller signings, the ones that you made. Alfonso Davies, of course, that that's rescuing him. You know, signed for 10 million euros and is now more, the most valuable left back on the planet. 
that worked out really well for him. But when you look at some of the other deals, the club is saying like, look, those deals that you made this year, they better work out. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I thought that Honigstein piece was really interesting as well, and I especially enjoyed the way he sort of explained that like the 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 way basically things have worked out at Bayern is what uh Hansi Flick is gone and Rummenigge was his biggest supporter has now mm. retired so it sort of sets the stage for it to be Hasan Salihamidzic making those big decisions but also everybody sort of looking at him with a uh, just like a sort of slightly warning eye of like, yeah, it's you, but uh, make the right choices or it won't be you anymore. Who do you think is under more pressure at the start of the season, Salihamidzic or Nagelsmann? Oh, definitely Hasan Salihamidzic, uh, 100%. The, because Nagelsmann can always just point out that he is new and he inherited the squad. And um, if he said that he didn't get the signings that he wanted, and that, that's the second head coach in a row who's saying that, right? Mm-hmm. And I also think that um, Julian Nagelsmann is very much an Oliver Kahn signing. 
um, backed by Oli Hoeneß from Tegensee, who does still wield quite a lot of influence. We cannot forget that. You know, I think that is that is certainly the case. And I'm actually hearing that his influence has grown um, rather than waning, um, which I find fascinating. But you know, um, Oliver Kahn boxed through Julian Nagelsmann and spent a lot of money on the head coach, 25 million euros. I mean, that's, that's in this economy, like, holy smokes, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so I think even if Bayern, even if Bayern, you know, it, it, things would have to go really wrong for Bayern this year for them to fire him because of the investment that they've made. He's definitely getting at least one full year. I, of course, if they're all of a sudden sixth or seventh and there's only three or four games left in the season, not, then he's gone 100% because Champions League football, we talked about earlier, that's way more important than winning any title. Uh, fans might not want to he- hear that, but in the end of the day, you want to be in a Champions League. That is the Super League, right? That's mm-hmm. where you want to be. Um, but bearing that, uh, he, he will get this year. A hundred percent and he will get next year properly as well. And then, you know, questions might be asked. It's like, look, dude, this is like two seasons without a title. What's going on? <laughs> like, bye. Um, but I hope that's how they actually address the situation with him. Yeah. It's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> look, dude, what's up? Why aren't it's, you winning? We're Win like, more. we're in Bavaria. I mean, like <laughs> there is no, uh, as you say in German, Kuschelkurs, you know, like it's, it's not, uh, it's not nice. It's not, um, you know, it's a very direct approach. Mm-hmm. So that's probably exactly how it would get addressed. Um, there's no sugarcoating it. So not a lot of, not a lot of polite laughing at jokes in Bavaria. Oh yeah. But like they mean them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, we've gone long on Bayern. Uh, two more things on them really quickly. One, one is a statement. One is a question. The statement would be, uh, with Manuel talking about Bayern Munich being so good and so stable for so long. A reminder that Manuel and I did an episode of Soccer 101, episode number 26, if you want to go back and find it, mm-hmm. entitled, How Have Bayern Munich Been So Good for So Long? Where we go through a lot of the history, a lot of the organizational structure, the individuals that have made them what they are. So you can get a much more in-depth answer answer to that question there the in-depth question i have for you that i would hope we get an answer for is how much nagelsmann is going to change this Bayern munich team from teams we've seen in the past how different his style will be and if you anticipate any pushback on that one the way we got with maybe niko kovac do you think there will be some players who don't want to say high press if that's what he's asking them to do yeah i think high press will be fine um it's 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 an interesting one because like with Julian Nagelsmann, the, the attention will be very high on everything he does. There's a, there was a picture leaked. Um, I think Florian Plettenberg tweeted it. Um, another journalist, by the way, who I highly recommend. If you're not following him yet, you should, probably should. Um, works for Sport 1 and covers Bayern quite in depth. And sorry, his name one more time. Florian Plettenberg. Thank um, you. Plettigol on Twitter. Please give him a, give him a follow. He's a very nice guy. Um, and he tweeted a picture of a 4-3-3 formation with Lewandowski slightly set back behind the two wingers. And that's apparently how he drew it on a board, right? And he was saying like, oh my God, is that Lewandowski in like a number 10 role? And the wingers are actually playing like forwards. And it's like, no, that's a 4-3-3 formation. But you can see how like a little detail like that is already getting the, the, the Munich press going, right? So like obviously he's still four three three, which is what Hansi Flick has played. Um, not necessarily the most typical formation for Julian Nagelsmann. He was more of a three five two guy, right, or um, even a three three two two guy. 
with the, the wingbacks playing a big role. I, I do think that he will eventually transition to that. Uh, I think what we're seeing with the 4-3-3 is that he, he is very much aware of the fact that he can't be like Niko Kovac, just come in and change everything. I don't think the players will follow that. And we all know how Niko Kovac ended. In fact, we were together when it did end. Yep. Um, we were actually in the same stadium together when it ended. Yep. <laughs> Quite traumatically, like <laughs> fireworks. Um, yeah. It's a great 40, 48 hours. The loudest and, stadium I've ever been in. Yeah, and it, I think that Nagelsmann is very much aware that this dressing room can turn on you very quickly. And I, I think I explained the, the dressing room mentality very well in the podcast we did together on Bayern Munich. So please give that a listen. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that he's going to be a little bit more careful than Niko Kovac when it comes to who cool sweeping changes um, at Bayern Munich because he will have to have the players on his side. He will have to convince Thomas Müller to do this. He will have to convince Robert Lewandowski to do this, you know, and that's going to be trickier. And maybe with once those players, once the influence wanes, and I mean, Thomas Müller is the boss at Bayern Munich, let's be honest here, he runs this club, then maybe he can sort of inform this, this team to actually play the football that he envisions, but he cannot necessarily do it with, with the current crop of guys that are there right now. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a slower transition. I don't think he can just do what he did at Leipzig, storm in and, um, you know, like break the cabinet and redo everything. It's not going to work like that there. So we would assume 50-50 chance Bayern, Bayern Munich win the title as opposed to 90-10. Uh, yeah. Dortmund and Leipzig also in that conversation. Who else do you have in the top four, if not the title conversation, then at least who do you see as vying for the top four spots at the end of the season? I mean, the big question mark for me is Wolfsburg. Uh-huh. I do think that they have the squad, but I'm not sure they have the coach. I'm curious to see what Borussia Mönchengladbach will do. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt, not the greatest start in the cup, <laughs> like eliminated by uh, Waldhof Mannheim. That's not great. But I do think that they they, they made some really good transfers. Um, yes, they lost Andre Silva, but they did bring in um, Borre from, from Colombia, really highly rated striker. They brought in uh, Jens Peter Hauge, right? They brought in Lidstrom. Then they're not done. They will, they, they will do more. Um, curious to see... Gladbach as well, what they can do with with new head coach, right? Hütter, who was previously in Frankfurt, did great work there. Um, but ultimately, this, for me, you know, the top three is very much cemented with Bayern, Dortmund and Leipzig. And then maybe someone can come in and surprise us. Uh, Leverkusen has done some interesting things too. Um, I got, just got off a call with Simon Rolfes, uh, Bayer Leverkusen director of sport or sporting director rather. And um, I know that they are busy, very busy. They signed, in my opinion, one of the best center backs available on the market. And, oh my God, I'm going to butcher this name. So I really apologize. <laughs> Odilon Kusunu. Um, and I am hearing that they are also going to bring in another defender in Henkapia, potentially. Henkapia? Um, yeah, who was very good at the Copa America. So... Um, we'll see what they do with that. And I've also been told that they're looking at to add more speed on the wings. So we'll see um, what they're going to do in the end. Very interesting head coach, Gerardo Sione, um, dominated the Swiss league with young boys. We have 
of course, the experience that um, those coaches coming from that league, just like it is in Austria, they, they transition very well. Adi, Adi Hütter came from Young Boys and um, did, did fantastic stuff for Frankfurt. And I, I assume Gerardo Zione is going to fall into that same category. So, yeah, maybe keep an eye on Leverkusen. I think there's some interesting stuff happening there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about them because... On the surface, and I think you've sort of answered this question already, as you tend to do. You tend to do a good job of anticipating my many, many questions. <laughs> but it looked from the business they have done like they are in a slight rebuild. Uh, they let, what, Jem Turkman, Alexander Dragovic go on freeze. So to the Bender brothers, no yeah. longer with Leverkusen. But then Damari Gray and Leon Bailey, both wingers, both being allowed, uh, both being sold. Tin Yedvai leaving for Russia. It seemed like, okay, they must be in a rebuild. They're trying to change it up. But then with some of the signings you've mentioned, either already having happened or likely to happen, it does feel more like they are sort of like for like replacing. And if anything, just strengthening deficient areas so is it fair to say that Leverkusen are in a position of strengthening as opposed to a position of rebuilding yeah and I think that they move pieces on in order to strengthen Leon Bailey uh, you know they got a lot of money for him more than I thought um, I mean I guess Aston Villa had the cash thanks Jack uh, Grealish yeah <laughs> yeah I mean the trickle down effect right mm-hmm. um, they got a lot more money than I think they thought and um, Demi Wright Gray just didn't work out. I think listening, to, and I'm going to have a piece out on this on Forbes, probably by the time this podcast comes out and where, where Rolf is, does discuss some of the scouting techniques that they use. And I, I do think that's really quite interesting, but they, they have categories that they look at for players. And, um, one of the categories that, that they look at for, for, for wingers is just generally speaking speed. They just want fast players. And if they can find someone on the market who's really fast, they're going to give that kid an opportunity. And Demirai Gray very much fell into that category. He's one of the fastest players in the league last year. Uh, Jeremy Frimpong, um, who they signed as well, right? Last, I think last winter, that was a, it's another player like that where they just said, wow, it's like, wow, this guy is really fast. We can work with this, right? And if they can't work with it, um, some idiot Premier League club will still put a lot of money on that player, right? Because that's usually what happens. So. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's pretty much what they were doing. They, they realized like, okay, we'll have to sell these pieces in order to bring in the pieces that we need for Gerardo Sione to work out. And, um, I think those pieces, I mean, Florian Wirtz is going to make a big step in this development. Paulinho is finally healthy again. Uh, Musa Diaby is a player who is still only 22, who I personally rate very highly. Someone just needs to teach him how to pass the ball. And I think he'd be world class. And, you know, keeping Lucas Alario and Patrick Schick, signing them to new deals, I think that's quite smart. And I, I'm not a player who I finally hope he's going to stay healthy because I, I rate him really, really highly. And I think he's just waiting to finally break into this league is Ezequiel Palacios. Um, you know, he's he had so many injury concerns and I really hope that he still stays healthy this year. And yeah, I mean, like in Canuso, they have signed a fantastic center pack. They they kept um, Tapsoba, who was Chelsea chased him for a while, right? But then they told Chelsea, is like, yeah, we want what you paid us for Harvards. And Chelsea quickly went away. <laughs> and <laughs> if they sign Hincabia or Hinsabia, uh, I'm going to have to ask one of my Spanish friends to pronounce that properly for me. I think they're in a really good position. 
Uh, one more on Leverkusen, uh, checking your valuations, the market value on transfer marked. Uh, we see that Florian Wirtz is top of the list. 18-year-old Florian Wirtz, attacking midfielder, valued around $50 million, has a contract through June of 2026. What year do you expect him to be playing for Bayern Munich? <laughs> Um, they did lose out in Harvards, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, maybe he's not going to buy a Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I mean, maybe do more generally answer your question. I think the, the question is, when is he ready for the next step? Right? Yeah, that's probably a fair question. Um, whether that is Bayern Munich, whether that's Real Madrid, Barcelona. Oh yeah, those two teams are bankrupt. So whether it's <laughs> Bayern Munich or a team in the Premier League, um, or maybe Borussia Dortmund. Right or Leipzig. Um, Leipzig have very much changed their philosophy, so it seems they are very. I, I did not think that they would spend thirty million, forty million dollars on a center forward who's in, in the mid twenties um, playing in Germany already. That's, I think, in my opinion, a statement uh, right there that they are willing to do things a little bit differently, and they are they, they do have the money. But I think Florian Wirtz is is someone you need to keep an eye on. Uh, he, he's going to be a world star and. There's a lot of stuff that was said about, you know, reaching out here a little bit, but um, there was a lot of stuff that was said about this German national team and whether the time has come now for to just recognize that we don't have the players anymore. And um, I think that the result at the Euros was very much just a result of, of the coaching staff rather than the players available. Um, you know, you cannot expect players to do something that they're not used to do um the system just was all wrong and all like you know Löw misused the talent uh, available to him and um the difference is when what you saw with Stefan Kunz and what he did with Florian Wirtz at the U21 tournament where Florian Wirtz was excellent and Wirtz is very much one of those players that will feature in the national team quite heavily together with Jama Musiala together with Yusuf Mukuku and a bunch of other players that are currently breaking into into the Bundesliga adding to a team, a German national team that I personally still think is world-class. And once Wirtz is part of that national team, and he will be because Hansi Flick rates him really highly, the eyeballs will be on him and the teams will be coming for him. And it sometimes goes really quick. And whether it's, you know, someone in England or Bayern Munich, I think it's probably going to be within the next two years. Hmm. All right. Uh, I don't want to take up a ton more of your time, but I will because I have many more questions for you. Uh, and some of them are teams we've already discussed or about are about teams we've already discussed. Gladbach for a moment. Uh, I don't like want to get too in-depth on them because I feel like they're still an evolving team, as are all the teams we're talking about. But there has been much rumbling on the social media that Joe Scally will factor a lot more than expected for this team, or at least a lot more than I expected. Do you think there's a chance we see him starting this weekend due to injury? Will he start at points this season? How much involvement do you think he will have? I'm so glad you bring him up because we almost forgot him, didn't we? He played uh-huh. excellent in the cup. It's very good, very good performance, I thought, in the cup. Um, Gladbach are very high on him. Uh, I remember when... When they signed him, a lot of play people were like, oh, what are you doing with this kid? And Gladbach told me at the time that they were very high on him and very excited that he is coming. So, yeah, I I guess that there is a very high chance that we're mm-hmm. going to see him play um, on the weekend. I think that the, the side that 
that that feature against um, Kaiserslautern, of course, there's going to be some changes, right? Some players are still coming back from injury. Briel Mbolo, for example, featured, but not for very long. Alassane player, same thing. Max Turam is still struggling with a few issues as well. Um, there is going to be probably a change with Dennis Zakaria leaving the club as well. So there's still a lot of things going on. Um, there's still some transfers outgoing and incoming, I think over the next uh, how many more like three weeks until the window closes right so a little bit in transition but joe scully i think will feature um there's a high chance he will feature when the bundesliga kicks off on friday um, you know it's pretty soon they're playing Bayern munich was there was the downturn last season are we putting that squarely on marco rosa announcing he's leaving and the team sort of losing motivation knowing they're not going to have that manager anymore were there other larger problems within the squad or do we think uh adi hutner can come in get everybody sort of on board pretty quickly and they will go right back to being as competitive and strong as they've been in the past yeah i do think that was down to rosa leaving early um (laughs) there was a lot of rumors okay about what what transpired the day that dortmund announced him um, where there is smoke, there is fire. I do think there's a lot more truth to those rumors that the club admitted afterwards, you know, with um, Rosa being ready to leave right away and um, the club being very upset that he made this decision and um, certain players maybe even coming along to Dortmund. And then there was issues with the with the, the coaching staff in general, with um, some of the assistant coaches not knowing whether they were going to come to Dortmund or not. And, ah, you know, it, it, it it didn't sound great. And then apparently there was a fight during training as well, where the players said like, Oh, you're leaving us. And I do think wow. that had an impact. And I think that a lot of people in the Bundesliga yeah. probably learned a lot from last year and making those kind of head coaching decisions. Right. Um, they all said, no, it doesn't matter. We all professional. We have to keep moving on. And we all know that's not true. The human element just doesn't allow for stuff like that. So I do think that they're going to rebound this year. So things seem like they are rosier at Borussia Mönchengladbach. They definitely seem like they are rosier for Union Berlin, who will be playing in Europe for the first time ever. They've also splashed a decent amount of cash. Do you like the business that uh, Union have done so far? Yeah, I actually do. Um, I also am very excited that Union Berlin will have fans again in the stadium. I think that's oh, yeah. that's probably the biggest transfer that they have done. <laughs> Because that's a proper asset for them, and the city, the city of Berlin, allowing them to play, even though the incidency rate is um, over thirty-five per one hundred thousand, which is in the past was the magic marker for having um, you know fans in attendance in in German stadiums, was that the incidence rate of COVID nineteen, yes, that virus still exists, um, unfortunately, um, had to be thirty-five. Per, had to be below 35 per 100,000 people living in that given area. Um, it's in Berlin, it's slightly above. In general, in Germany, it's below that, way below that. But in Berlin, the incidence rate is higher. But the city of Berlin is starting to introduce new measures that, you know, it includes factors like vaccination rate and hospitalization and all that kind of stuff because it, it, the virus is still around, but the, we have now have weapons to fight the virus that are very different than they were a year ago, right? with the vaccine and all that. So um, yes, they are allowed to have attendance. And I think that's actually probably the biggest signing for them to to have fans back in that crowd in that stadium, because that stadium is unbelievable atmosphere wise. It's just 
one of the best um, experiences that you will ever have as a fan attending any game. And then, of course, they they signing Taibo Aboni um, full term from Liverpool. I, I think was a great, great addition. Uh, Max Cruz is back. Um, I'm really looking forward to Geraldo Becker's uh, development. I thought he was quite good last year already, and I think he can make a next step. And them being in Europe is going to be so much fun. So um, I do like what they've done, and they're one of those teams that is taking this build slowly approach to just improve every year. How familiar are you with uh, Taiwo Iwani, or however you pronounce that? I apologize. Iwani? I'm not even sure. Iwani? There we go. It's 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 a tricky one, and I think it's tricky, especially because not a ton of people would be familiar with him. Uh, he is from Liverpool, though uh, I would say a lesser-known Liverpool player, 23-year-old center forward, uh, mm-hmm. Nigerian center forward at that. Uh, why do you think Union were willing to spend so much money on him? Uh, it's only, what, like $7 million, but as we've talked about in other interviews, Manuel, the Bundesliga is not quite the Premier League when it comes to all the clubs having tens of millions of dollars to spend on 14 different players. You have to kind of be a bit more reasonable with what you're doing. So yeah. for Union to spend that much money, it does feel like a big step for them. Yeah, I think they really like his development. Um, scored five goals and three assists in 21 Bundesliga games last year, right? That's that's pretty good, and I, I do think that they see an upside in his development. And I think they, you could see it towards the end of the season. He's he's still at a stage where he's developing, and um, he fits the club just really well. He wanted to be there, he wanted to stay, and I think they they found a very good solution with Liverpool, signing him for for a fee that was both reasonable but also maybe gave Liverpool the opportunity down the road to bring him back right for for a bigger fee um and I think that's that's sort of what they were looking for that they I realized that there is a market for him um if he works out and that 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 will help them grow down the road and I do think he has a big season ahead of him and a lot of people are going to watch him especially you know we all know the impact that Liverpool fans have and how closely they watch any player that is potentially on their radar and maybe they can have future taps on, right? So um, a lot of people are going to watch him. And uh, I think that he has a big season ahead of him, especially playing in Europe. I, I think that's just, you know, for any player, that's just such a big deal. Uh, it is. It is indeed. And it's a big deal to have one American managing in the Bundesliga, let alone having two. We've talked about one. Let's talk about the other. What are your expectations for Pellegrino Matarazzo this season uh, with Stuttgart? Having lost their goalkeeper, we already mentioned, what business have they done? What is their sort of standing as we enter the Bundesliga season? Yeah, but they brought in a very good goalkeeper to replace him in Florian Müller. And yeah, they've done some interesting stuff. Um I can never tell. So I just want to re, like refresh for new listeners that interesting is a word that scares me because it's basically how my wife shows displeasure. If I've done something interesting, it means it's yeah. not good. So when you say interesting, do you mean interesting in a good way or interesting in a they're in some trouble sort of way? No, I think it's a positive. Okay. Um, no, in this case, I definitely think it's it's positive. I think they got a lot of money from for Nicolas Gonzalez, the twenty. 20- 24 million euros around, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's not, that's, it doesn't include the, the bonuses payments that's still going to be triggered down the road. So that's, that's a decent amount of money. The, the fact that they were able to hang on to, uh, Sasha Kalajic, um, he was very good last year. Then, um, yeah, the goalkeeper, Florian Müller, you know, they were ready. They were on the ball when, when Kobel left. 
they were already had the replacement lined up and signed. And uh, then also adding Constantinos and Mafrapanos, Mafrapanos on a full mm-hmm. deal. I know a lot of Arsenal fans were really upset about it because that was cheap. They're getting him for almost nothing. And then I didn't realize that was a full deal. I thought that was a loan. It was an, oh, wow. it was an option right. to buy. Yeah, it's wow. an option okay. to buy, um, which they can trigger next year, which means it's not on their books this year. Um, it's a very, very smart piece of business. Um, they had, of course, the story with with uh, Silas Katombo Mavumbo, right? Who we found out has, you know, name change um, because of his con, like because of the, the situation with his agent and bringing Wait, him to, to Europe. I yeah. I don't know the story at all. You don't know the story at all. No. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Silas. Yeah. Um, very good player. Very good player. He tore his ACL, I think last year mm-hmm. and um, was known as Silas Vamangituka. And it turned out that in order for his his agent smuggled him more or less to Europe, he's a refugee, right? And um, they they faked his documents, his passport documents, Oof. and his real name is actually Silas Katombo Movumba. And um, the club completely stood behind him, you know, helped him deal with all this sort of stuff because, you know, faking faking passports and all that kind of stuff, it, it, it's a biggie. <laughs> You know, um, but the way the league and the club and also the DFB handled it, I think was quite good. Um, you know, he is going, he is going to get banned. Um, he's facing, I think, a three match day ban for, for essentially, um, for essentially faking his, his player documents. But they gave him this ban while he's sitting out an ACL injury anyways, right? So. Um, the way they handled this, like, we have to give you a slap on the wrist for this because that's what the law says. But at the same time, we're going to give you a slap on the wrist in a form that it is not going to hurt you because you are going to be out anyways, right? With an injury. So I think the club handled that really well. And I think the way the club handled it, it shows, it shows you a lot about the management, whether it's Sven Mislintat, whether it's Pellegrino Matarazzo, whether it's Thomas Hitzelsberger, right? Um, all those people handled the situation really well. And that for me personally tells you a lot about the, how a club is operated and how homogeneous a club is operated and the, the homogeneity of, of a group altogether that they were able to not only step up for this player, but also to protect him very quickly. And without, as you said, you didn't even know this happened, right? Mm-hmm. That says about everything you need to know about the situation. They were able to deal with this quickly and they were able to do it without a big international outcry. So I, I think that's that's one, you know, that tells you a lot about the management group there. And yeah, I think it, it's it's fascinating. They, they were such a fun team to watch last year. And um, I'm looking forward to Katombo Mavumbo coming back, but I'm also looking forward to the fact that they, they were able to keep Kalachnic, um Tangay Golibali is going to have a big year for them, I think, as well. Um, there's a lot of, of players in that squad that have so much room in development still. And I think they're not quite done business-wise either. So, yeah, they're a team to keep an eye on. I think they, they're going to slightly improve on what they've done last year. And final question for you. Of the newbies coming up, we've got Bochum, we've got Gritha Firth. Uh, what are your expectations for them? Will they both stay up? Will one stay up or will neither stay up? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not too optimistic for either. 
um, both Kreuter Fürth. I mean, Kreuter Fürth, we have Julian Green there, right? Yeah, we do. Um, it's a big year for him too. Timothy Tillman has, has a U.S. passport. I think he's still declared for Germany. Yeah. Um, I guess. So who needs him? That's what I say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a hard year for Fürth. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not a Bundesliga team by any stretch of the imagination. I know they're in the Bundesliga now, but you know they're not a team that belongs in that league. It's just... It's just a step too big for them. They happily take the money that they're going to make from, from being there, um, you know, and, and make the most out of it and improve the infrastructure and all this sort of stuff that goes into it. But they're by no means a Bundesliga team. I'm, I'm happy they're in it because, um, it's a close distance to Munich where my German base is. And I'm hope, I'm hopeful I'm allowed to travel back again this year. That'd be nice. Um, please, please German government let me. That'd be very nice. Um, and then I could actually hit. You know, then we have Munich, Augsburg, Fürth is close by, and Stuttgart is all close by. So I could hit all those markets very quickly from there without having to travel all across the country. So fingers crossed they're doing well because I, I would like to go, but it, it's going to be very difficult for them. Um, for Bochum, I'm excited that they're back. You know, this is a team that in the 90s were always in the Bundesliga. We called them the Unabsteigbaren, um, which means the non-relegatable -rele -re team or the non the team that is never relegated of course that's not true anymore they got relegated lots <laughs> in the 90s and then they became what we call in german eine fahrstuhlmannschaft a team like uh, an elevator team because they kept going up and down that unfortunately turned into a team that's always in bundesliga too and um, it's nice having them back because it brings back a lot of memories from the 1990s when when they were a mainstay in the bundesliga and that's a good stadium to visit the Ruhrstadion. It's a fun place to visit, a uh, good atmosphere. And that used to be also the big derby in the Riviera derby used to be Schalke against Bochum. So I guess now it's Dortmund against Bochum. And um, I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. All right, Manuel, any other things that you would like to talk about when it comes to the Bundesliga? I feel like we've talked about a lot of different teams, a lot of different players. I had more questions for you, including favorite and least favorite signings, but I feel like I've taken up plenty of your time. So anything else that you would like to discuss? I think it's a good league to watch. And Oh, yeah? <laughs> don't get, don't get taken aback by the fact that it's dominated by Bayern Munich. I, I do think we all realize that is an issue, but I do also think that there is simply no incentive for big teams not to win a league. And I think that's a reality of it. Despite Bayern's dominance, the, the competition for the championship is usually quite close. I mean, I think we had more of a title race in the last three years than we had by comparison with the Premier League. Although they had different champions, the title race was usually over quite soon, wasn't it? So give the yeah. league a chance if you haven't watched it. I, it produces some wonderful stories. I, I'm a fan. I, I grew up with the league. My team doesn't play in the Bundesliga anymore. I think people who follow me closely know that I'm an 1860 fan and I still watch it uh, religiously and cover it uh, in depth. And I think it's, it is a league where you need to look beyond Bayern Munich's dominance to really, really realize why it is worth watching because it has a lot of stories. It has a lot of Americans. It has a Canadians as well. It gives those players a platform to play like no other league does in, in Europe. And it also now with fans back, and I think no one disagrees with that, it has the best atmosphere of any of the top four leagues in Europe. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. So if you're on the fence about watching the league because of Bayern's dominance, I think it's much more than that. And I think you should give it a chance to watch. If 
people want to watch but maybe don't want to watch like the more heralded teams, the bigger clubs, who do you think would be the sort of mid-table or the the less covered team that will play the most interesting, exciting soccer this season? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned some of them, didn't we? Union mm-hmm. Berlin is fun. Stuttgart is is a ton of fun. Um, I think Bochum is could could have the potential for a fun little story this year as well because they are an underdog, but they have so 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 steeped in history. I think that they they could maybe produce they they will they will fight against relegation for the entire year, but maybe successfully so. And then Freiburg as well. Um, you know, Freiburg is a small team from probably one of the most beautiful parts in Germany and. Christian Streich has them play incredible football and, you know, very cultivated football. We call them the Breisgau Brasiliana, the, the Brazilians from the Breisgau. It's, it's a good team to watch. And, you know, I think if you want to, if you're looking for stuff like that, I, I think that's fun. If you're looking for absolute mayhem and chaos, hey, Hertha Berlin, man, um, that's, that's, that's the right up your alley. Like you want, you want drama and soap opera every week. That's your club right there. There we are. All right. Drama, soap opera, all that good stuff. Manuel, thank you so much, as always, for taking so much time to uh, preview the Bundesliga. I consider the upcoming season previewed. I hope listeners do as well. But Manuel, thank you one more time for taking the time. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. Always, always a pleasure, my friend. Listeners, thank you all for listening. We will obviously have Manuel on many more times this season. But for now, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. 